Welcome to Shelf Builders Podcast. I'm Dustin Porta. Uh, this is the podcast where we help readers get to know authors by talking about their bookshelves. And uh, before I introduce our guest, I just wanted to make a quick announcement. Uh, we now have a Shelf Builders Discord, and there will be a link to it in the show notes if you want to uh, find some new authors, new books, or comment on the show. Now let's get started. Daniel Maidman, welcome to Shelf Builders Podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks so much for having Good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, so I brought you on to talk about your bookshelf, but I want you to briefly introduce yourself and your book. Sounds good. Um, uh, my name is Daniel Maidman. I am a SPIFBO semifinalist. Uh, my book was um, uh, the, the Exile of Zanzibar, uh, which is uh, epic fantasy, not very much magic. And uh, until recently, I've had a really hard time figuring out how to describe it. But I hung out with a, a friend of mine uh, a couple of days ago who helpfully said, your book is a fish out of water story, uh, which presents a, um, a, an intimate personal portrait of growth and transformation set against a sweeping historical backdrop of the transformation of a whole society. And I was like, That's, that, that actually is what my book is about. Thank you for telling me. I, I couldn't In figure that out. That's before, great. So. Yeah, I love that. So that's that's what my book's about. I wish someone <laughs> could do that for me. <laughs> I'll ask her if she'll read your book. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so you're a semifinalist, and you said you were a semifinalist. Does that mean, like me, you've sadly been cut? I have sadly been cut, but I uh, I was cut for uh, Daughter of the Beast, which looks fantastic. So I've got nothing to feel bad about on that front. Great thing about this contest is uh, even if you get cut, you usually uh, have some nice things said about your book before it goes. Yeah, They're, the judges have been really generous. Um, so that's it's really nice. And I'm really glad I got this far this time because I don't know if I'm ever going to have another first book in a fantasy series. So this was my one shot. <laughs> uh, do you have big plans to continue the series that this book is set in or you just going on another direction entirely no this is like book one of seven so i expect to be okay. writing it more or less the rest of my life um and uh i'm really happy about that i'll like never have writer's block again because i know what I'm doing. <laughs> congratulations on having it all planned out yeah uh let's start with a tour of your bookshelf um i wanted to ask you uh what sort of a bookshelf do you keep and what books are front and center on your bookshelf right now Okay, uh, I'm in front of two of my bookcases. Um, I've got a lot of bookcases. Uh, so I chose uh, to sit in front of um, science fiction and fantasy over here and uh, literature over there. Um, the bottom shelves have art books um, and the bookcases we don't have are science fiction, art and art theory, poetry, plays, things I'm in, signed copies of things. And then there's like a bunch of bookcases downstairs as well. Um, uh, I just, I love being surrounded by books. So I am immoderate in the number of books I have around. So you're an um, artist as well. Yeah. When you say things you're in, are you talking about art books or are you also in some uh, uh, science fiction and fantasy compilations? Uh, let's see, these are mostly art magazines, art books. And a couple books that I wrote uh, essays for, it looks like. 
Yeah. And, and some, bo uh, some books on art instruction that have like some of my work in them. Very so, cool. Mostly art. Yeah. Well, one of my questions is usually how do you organize bits? You've kind of answered it already. Uh, is it strictly <laughs> by genre? It's mostly by genre and then uh, alphabetized within that with a certain amount of irregularity based on things not fitting on shelves. Like, you know, you've got your tall <laughs> shelves and your short shelves and it doesn't always match up with the alphabet. So far, most everyone I've talked to has had a, a very strict organizational system, which surprises me. Uh, uh -huh. I thought more authors would just sort of go by vibe, uh, but it's <laughs> everyone's very organized. No. Oh, you know, I've got a couple downstairs that are also like the research circle. And that, that's gotten a little bit sloppy over time because there's so many different topics. So there's, you know, like a shelf that's all Greek and Roman military history and another shelf that's all like history of railroads and things like that. Um, and it, that's all over the place. Uh, they, it's gotten all mixed up together over time. How long have you had these books? Is this like a continuation of your childhood collection or is this... Uh, yeah, something that started when you bought the home. No, no. Um, I look. I okay. Uh, these are my two first science fiction books, and I uh, I got this book because I had like seen pictures from the movie, and then I was like, Will I really like this. Read the author. titles on those for the people who are on the audio only version. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, so my first science fiction book was The Black Hole by Alan Dean Foster, and I read it, and I was like, I really like this writing. So I went back to the used bookstore and got the other book of his they had, which was Norcrystal Tears, which also started my uh, lifelong admiration for Michael Whelan's cover paintings. Um, and uh, I've got a couple books of his paintings now as well. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that, that's where it all started for me. I'm not familiar with Foster, but I think I am familiar with Whelan. Oh me... yeah, he's great. I think I, I, I'm almost sure that Alan Dean Foster ghost wrote the novelization of Star Wars. Um, but, uh, I, th I think that there was like a big to do with Disney and Sifla, uh, a few years ago regarding royalties from that. But, um, but he's, I remember I mean, he's that. written like 60 yep. or 70, yeah, uh, he's written 60 or 70 books, I think, uh, just a lifelong, uh, uh, science fiction writer. And I read like 40 or 50 of them when I was a kid. So he's still out there writing. I think the first science fiction I read was Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, childhood's End. Okay. Uh, it would have been like ninth grade, and it was a a slim book, but you had you were on a point system, so they awarded a certain number of reading points for the complexity. So I picked the, the smaller, more complex books so I could uh, get more points quicker. <laughs> I, I've only read that one relatively recently. Um, really, that's a freaky book. Yeah. Yeah, his his stuff can be freaky. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you feel weird. Especially it's, when it's you're a teenager. Yeah. It's like, it's so, his writing is so flat and uninflected. And then sometimes he has like utterly trippy ideas in it. Uh, and so it's, it's like, it's like somebody, you know, somebody who comes across as completely calm and lucid. And then, uh, and then you like come across this stuff and you're like, you're having no emotional response as a writer to this utterly bizarre material that you're writing. So he's a really weird writer. Well, a, a lot of the, uh, stories he writes are about these, you know, these unfeeling aliens or these un, in, inhuman energy beings having transcendent experiences mm -hmm. or longing for transcendent experiences. So maybe there's something there, something <laughs> personality. 
<laughs> uh, show us some more. Your you said you had some more uh, childhood books. Any other cool oh, covers? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I've got um, my first Stanislaw Lem novel, uh, Memoirs Found in a Bathtub, which oh, uh, too. is not a great cover. It's like a checker. Um, it's like a bathtub with skulls and sand and a scroll within it uh, on in front of a checkerboard pattern. It's very, it's tough to make out. It's it's um the premise of this book is uh, and I read this when I was thirteen, so I may have it a little bit off. But um, this 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 agent who has been assigned to a large intelligence agency called the Building, and it's so everything about it is so secretive that he can't actually find his office or his assignment or his superior officer, and he That's wanders great. the building for like a really long time. Uh, trying to find any meaning at all inside of it. And he gradually pieces together that the building's nemesis, uh, which is called the anti-building, may have so thoroughly infiltrated it that um, that the building and the anti-building have reversed places. Uh, What's the title of the, be the book again? It's, uh, it's Memoirs Found in a Bathtub. I'm writing that and down. It's, uh, it's the same. Going on my list. He wrote Solaris. Uh, and he's, he's fantastic. He's a very strange Polish science fiction writer. So he had a big influence on me as well. In addition to books and art books, uh, do you have any trinkets or other tchotchkes that you keep on your bookshelf? We're doing the physical tour uh, right now. I, I would have to take it downstairs. I have some I have some weird action figures that I don't even actually know what they are. I just got them because they look cool. It looks um, very serious and well-ordered behind you right now. Oh, yeah. Well, it's at, at other times, the, there are books stacked on top of books. Um, I... Uh, the bookcases that are more hidden away are the ones that have toys in front of the books as well. <laughs> um, but uh, like when I say downstairs, I mean the basement. Like uh, we have work areas in the basement and a lot of books. I've got I've got a number of C-3PO's and several different R2-D2's. Remember how they changed the R2-D2 action figure design? So I've got all the R2-D2's. How did they and, change uh, it? And the Venus de Milo. Oh, okay. So... Uh, if you were getting like a, an R2-D2 action figure in like the 80s or the 70s, I guess, it didn't really look like R2-D2. Uh, and so like all the lights and things on the dome were in the wrong spots and uh, all the detailing on the cylinder was just a sticker. And around the time that I guess they released the prequels, they came out with like a completely accurate R2-D2 action figure where the dome was correctly sculpted and all of the detailing on the cylinder was modeled into the plastic. Uh, and it, it was like almost disappointing because <laughs> you had to make believe with the, with the bad R2-D2 all those years. And then they did like a I good think, one. You're like, well, it just looks like it. Because you're writing fantasy, mm -hmm. I want to bring you back to fantasy a little bit. What fantasy is on your shelf right now? Uh, let me check. All right. Uh, I could also right. ask, what fantasy have you read recently? Oh, I'm reading Tigana right now, uh, which is really amazing. Uh, God Gavriel K. God Gavriel K. Uh, Brandon Sanderson talks that up a lot. I think that's one of his favorite books. That's why I know of it. Is that the one that's like the Napoleonic Wars book with dragons? No, that's the Temeraire books. Um, that's uh, Temeraire. Yeah, Tigana is uh, set in like fantasy Renaissance Italy after oh. it's been conquered by two different uh, competing wizards who are quite oh, evil. Okay. And it's about a, a local uprising against them. And uh, a, a friend of mine told me it was a comp for, for my books. I started reading it, and, I, and then I realized what a compliment that was because it's an amazingly beautiful book. Um, so 
I'm partway through that, that and uh, yeah, and for um, for audiobook, I'm listening to uh, Words of Radiance right now, which is the second uh, Stormlight Chronicle book. It's a long time to get going, but they're pretty good once they start, once they, you know, once stuff happens. That's what I hear. I hear if you're going to read Sanderson, go with uh, go with the Stormlight Archive first. I read um, I read uh, Mistborn, which I liked pretty I well. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, um, but Stormlight is really, uh, you can tell his heart's really in it. Is that what? what you're reading right now, or is there uh, stuff outside the fantasy genre that you've been reading lately as well? Uh, on ebook, I'm reading um, The Never-Ending End of the World, which was published this year. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, a, a sort of like a physics-driven apocalypse book where, uh, this is interesting. It, so the premise in this thing is that uh, there was some kind of a failed um, super collider experiment and it has resulted in most of the world shattering into very short time loops uh, and a very few people were not affected by it so they're making their way through this landscape of like other people repeating themselves in like endless small solitary loops and um reading it i realized that like there's a sort of like a very tiny genre of these physics driven apocalypse stories where most of humanity disappears um so the other one that uh it reminds me of is um vanishing point uh, which I think I think the author on that is Michaela Rossner. I could be wrong, but it's uh, it's also set in a largely depopulated world after some kind of physics disaster mm. uh, at the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose. And then the um, the uh, 1985 science fiction film The Quiet Earth, which I think is based on a story, but I haven't read that story. But it's another thing where like most of humanity has disappeared, and like there are few people wandering around this empty world. Does it feel? Do you get like a really highbrow vibe from this or like a really lowbrow vibe from this? I feel like you could it could swing wildly into super campy or super like this is literary fiction. Uh I guess generally both. Um I mean there no no The Quiet Earth is the one you know it's a movie uh I think is the one that has the most um literary uh pretensions. Um there it's it's kind of a gripping idea of just most of humanity having disappeared um and creepy and mysterious and like so you get a whole bunch of resonance out of it and uh all three of those are written by authors who who really know how to um how to squeeze all the uh all of the all of that creepiness out of it um so i guess more of a lowbrow vibe but uh I, there's something about the premise that just really grabs me there's there's really the line's so blurred, mm -hmm. you know. Some of the best writers, right. the highbrow and lowbrow is such a such a weird terminology to use because you know some of the best writers I know are writing stuff that would be considered pulp or chaff or mm -hmm. lowbrow. Uh, yeah, and and I've read plenty of stuff that's supposed to be very good and it wasn't very good. <laughs> I, but it I'm, seems like you're kind of an omnivore like I am. You read everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I mostly like, I like things that you would call like trashy and I like things that you would call uh, literature. I don't really like above average, uh, sort of like like the entire literary fiction zone bothers me quite a bit. Um, like, I feel like if you're going to, I feel like they deny themselves the pleasures of like uh, genre fan service without really having the uh imagination or insight to hit the uh pinnacles of great writing um 
so I don't see the point. Like, it's just not fun. Uh, so that's um, me. I was talking with uh, W.D. Kilpack III uh, for my first mm -hmm. episode on here, and he was talking about, uh, we were talking about myth and, you know, like old Greek mythology, Roman mm -hmm. mythology. I feel like that's something that, you know, even literary fiction will sort of mine that for uh, mm -hmm. theme without yeah. acknowledging that that was the popular fiction of the time and might have more in common with some of the uh, tropes that we as fantasy writers are are dealing with that they kind of throw out with the, the bathwater. Uh, one thing that I try and ask everyone before we start talking about their books is, can you pick one book that you particularly like that you either read recently or you keep going back to or is an old favorite? And can you give us a an impromptu review of it or an impromptu synopsis? Generally, the, the less prepared you are, the, the better. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, I like I watching people that. struggle to remember their favorite book and describe it to me. Uh, this is, I mean, I have a lot of books that I would think of as favorite books, but I have, but um, uh, the more time what, passes, whatever you think more... will be fun. Okay. Uh, the Baroque Cycle, Neil Stevenson. Um, I really, uh, I think that his ambition to write a very big story uh, was most successful with that trilogy. Uh, and there's there's so much fun and adventure, and yet the depiction of uh, the modern world in terms of science and finance emerging out of the Middle Ages is so expertly done and uh, and beautifully handled, and really demands a canvas as big as that book, and uh, and has a really great ending, which. Um, uh, He's complained that people don't like his endings, and I don't like his endings. But this one has a great ending. Uh, it's such an incredibly satisfying uh, book. So I would, uh, I definitely recommend the Baroque Cycle for anyone up for like three thousand pages of Neil Stevens. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> fantastic book. <laughs> well, before we end the book, or before we end the podcast, I want to talk a bit about your books. Uh, okay. Do you ever think about what your book's going to look like on a shelf? And uh, do you ever think about how it's going to look like in like a like a folio or like a volume of three? You, do you think about maybe combining them into a, like a hardbound uh, multi-volume collection someday? Mm, I, I have not given sufficient thought to how the spines will all look physically beside one another, um, which is something that maybe I should have done more of before publishing the first one. Uh, but I got um, uh, the cover painting for the first one uh, is by a guy named, uh, I'm, I'm showing this for those listening to the podcast. Um, it's by a painter named Billy Norby, uh, who I'm friends with and who's just marvelous. And he does a lot of um, fantasy and science fiction illustrations. So I commissioned an oil painting for the cover. Like I did interior illustrations, but I don't think that I'm technically qualified to do, um, to do fantasy painting for the cover of a book. Uh, so I asked him to do it and I love the job that he did, but, um, the spine is, I think the spine's cool, but I haven't really planned in advance for what that would look like beside other spines. So that might Can be. Can you show a us a couple edition. of the interior art pieces? That's another thing oh, yeah, I'd like sure. to talk about on the show a little bit more often as I have more guests on is like mm -hmm. books as a way of, uh, keeping things that we're fond of, like pieces of art and things around. Go ahead and show the, the pictures. 
pick well, up one. Uh, oh wow! Sure. Okay, it's I can see a, a guy in a helmet, and uh, looks like he's mid battle. Uh, yes, and I, he's yeah. really tightly what cropped, you... almost a high emotion scene. Yeah, here's um a couple of suspicious coins that they've found partway through the book. Uh, so it's a guy are you, holding. Are you working in charcoals? No, this is uh this is white and black pencil on gray paper. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, it, it tends to look like charcoal until you know what I'm using. Here's their spooky high priest. It really has almost. There's photorealism, but mm -hmm. it has a almost the, like the oil painterly quality to it. I know Thank it's an illustration. This one, this one is this illustration is based, uh, and you, you wouldn't necessarily know it unless you knew the painting and also knew that I did this. It's based on Bellini's painting of uh, Doge Loredan of Venice. I think yeah. it was uh, Steve showed your book. Yeah, and we flipped through oh, I was so the illustrations. It. Yeah, I had no I idea. I said you're going to be everyone's hero for having these. <laughs> I actually I got the the Spiffbo related books that I have out uh, just in case I got an opportunity to plug somebody else's books oh. in the course of this. So, well, uh, we've got some, we got a little got bit a... of time here. Why don't you hold them up and show them to us? Sure. Uh, Spiffbo is... books do we have? I've got Edgar and the Fly Boys. Uh, and there's Edgar Louise Gordet. Louise Gordet. Yeah, and it's. It's got such a great premise, and the prose, uh, I've, I haven't read it yet, but I've read a few pages, and the prose is really solid. Um, it's about the guy who's supposed to, uh, he's a, an immortal who's supposed to deliver Edgar Allan Poe to the afterlife, but gives him like a few extra days to finish his masterpiece, and then Edgar Allan Poe completely screws him over uh, by taking several hundred years. Um, and there's, uh, <laughs> there's all kinds of, uh, of celestial hijinks that ensue. So there's that. And uh, this isn't a, a competition book, but I've uh, got Philip Chase's The Way of Edan, the first of his Edan trilogy. And he's one of the judges, and he, uh, he did a really oh. generous thing. Uh, he gave up his chance to enter the competition with this in order to be one of the judges for the competition. Uh, and I've heard great things about this, and I've read a little and bit, I, and the, the writing. I love really the cover on that. It's, yeah. it's got a stained glass quality to it. Yes. Yeah. So those are the two Spiffer-related cool. hard copies that I have so far. Uh, and I cannot afford all the ones that I want. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. The, the Poe thing's really cool. I love books that are fantasy books that involve uh, real-life historical figures. I forget the name of the author, but the Riverworld novels. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Philip Jose Farmer. Philip Jose Farmer. Uh, yeah. reincarnates all of these historical figures. Uh, I mean, the, the reviews of the book are all over the place. Uh, there's some weird stuff in there. Not everyone liked yeah. it, but uh, it was just so funny for me to see uh, uh, Samuel Clemens brought back to life. <laughs> yeah, that's the first one of them, uh, To Your Scattered Bodies Go, mm -hmm. which is the only one I ever read because I actually didn't like it all that much. I liked some of his other books, but I didn't like that one that much. So that one doesn't I never, have... I never read uh, the others. That one doesn't have uh, Mark Twain in it, actually. That one's uh, a, a different main character. I think Mark Twain shows up in book two, and by book yeah. three, he has a riverboat with the laser strapped to the deck. <laughs> cool. Yeah, this is uh, Richard Francis Burton. Yeah, that's right. So Weird concept. Ago. That's a, Weird. a very strange book. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He's a strange writer. I stuck with it. I finished the whole thing, but it was uh, it got weirder and weirder. Right. And there's some of their characters were like Neanderthals and you know earlier yeah. races of humanoid that we we didn't know about that he may or may mm-hmm. not have invented for the books. Does he ever tell you what what's going on with Riverworld? Like, does he get oh, yeah. around to oh like, in, in great it? detail? Yeah, yeah. I um I really liked str- those stories in Strange Relations. Uh, so that was why I picked up the Riverworld books. But I think again, books... this is like when I was like fifteen. So back when I first started publishing, and was young and naive, I sent a copy of my poetry to Leonard Nimoy because I had heard that Leonard uh-huh. Nimoy was a fan of poetry. Uh, and I never heard back from him, but do you ever wonder if there's a chance that your books could have wound up on some bookshelf of a person you admire or another writer, or do you like to fantasize that your books are sitting in a library somewhere alongside your favorite fantasy author's books? Anything yes. like that come to mind yes. and tell me about it. Um, Okay, so I would um, like, and th- this is something that uh, I, is much more developed uh, with regard to my art because I've been doing that longer. But I feel like with art, you're either going to wind up uh, in a thrift store or a museum over time. Uh, and part of your job while you're alive is to optimize your chances of it being a museum. Uh, <laughs> so I've put a lot of work into that, and I'm in a bunch of museums. Uh, I have worked scattered among collectors all over the world so uh any local cataclysm will not destroy everything i ever did that's really uh, cool. i feel that thanks i uh, i feel that way about um about the writing as well uh i'm not to my knowledge in any libraries yet but i'm working on it uh i'm in very few bookstores but i just published my book in june and i have not i don't have a name as an author of fiction yet uh but I'm working on it. I really want my work to survive. There are a few people who have inspired me uh, to whom I would be so happy to uh, give work back. Um, uh, unfortunately, like Kubrick was one of them uh, and I will never have the chance to give anything to Kubrick. Um, but uh, I'm working on Terry Gilliam because uh, I am a huge fan of his. And um I've had the good fortune to be in touch with a few authors whom I admire a great deal. And, uh, you know, most of the time when you try that sort of thing, nothing comes of it, but once in a while something does come of it. And, uh, and that's just awesome. You wind up uh, getting to um, communicate a little bit with people who've made a difference in your life uh, as a person and as a, and as a person who makes things. Uh, and that's like an incredible joy and privilege. So, yeah. Good answer. I do find the longer I'm in this, and not just in, because I've done a little art as well, uh, Mm -hmm. not at the level that you're doing art, but I I have done the markets and the galleries and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does feel like sometimes when you're talking to someone who's really well established, you want to give them something to show your gratitude and appreciation for what you do, but you don't want to push your stuff on them either. It almost feels like an imposition. So that's probably why I wouldn't do that now. I wouldn't just send someone my books, but I do want Mm -hmm. them to find their way there, you know, somehow. Yeah, sure. That the books will will find their way there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I thought uh, my first guest, W.D. Kilpack, 
he had a really great story because his uh, one of the authors he looked up to while they were talking, pulled his books up on his tablet and bought the books for himself. So oh, yeah, that was even, a good story. He didn't even push them onto the guy. He uh, he requested them. That's even cooler. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. No, I, I I was like I can't imagine any author not having a feeling like that. And hopefully, eventually, a few good stories about it too. Of the books that you have hanging around, are there any that have been particularly influential while you're writing the book that uh, is in Spiffbo or or whatever you're working on now? That uh, because you keep them nearby and you see them every day, may have influenced you one way or the other to change or uh, reconsider what you're writing or the way you present it or where the story goes. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm a huge fan of China Mieville. Uh, okay. So I've got a, I've got a bunch of his books, and I, I've I've thought about prose in relation to his books a lot over time. Uh, I'm looking at the books behind me on the screen. You know that first Hyperion novel blew me away, um, and that was a that was a a decently large influence because it showed that you could like work a large scale narrative around completely you know, non-linear imagery, uh, the stuff that doesn't really make any sense. Uh, it's just like, obviously a lot of that is simply inspired. Uh, you know, like the Rue out of Omar Khayyam, it just it came out of him. Uh, and uh, the, any, any attempt to explain it in the later books was nowhere near as successful as creating it in the first place. Um, but the second book is actually a um, weird novel called The Invention of Morel. Uh, and I haven't watched last year at Marion Bad, but apparently that's partly based on it. Uh, and it's a very spooky book uh, about um, an island uh, with what appears to be time distortion on it. And uh, and it, it got blurbed by, I think, George Louis Barquez, which is a pretty cool blurb to have. I'm so distractible, especially when uh, people are telling me about interesting books that I didn't know existed. I've been so distracted okay. by your bookshelf, I forgot to ask you for a... A deeper dive into your actual series. Uh, it's um, it starts uh, in the middle of a very long war between adjacent uh, Bronze Age city states uh, called, apparently, somewhat confusingly, Florence and Genova, because they have nothing to do with the actual Florence and Genoa. Um, and uh, there's an almost uh, supernaturally intense storm stops the fighting for a little bit, and when it clears, uh, a woman in a golden chariot falls out of the sky. Um, and it turns out that she is uh, in a uh, has fallen victim to an error in her own um, uh, technology. Uh, she's from a very advanced uh, city state called Zanzibar that no one's ever heard of, um, and she built a, a thing for uh, for folding time and space, and it didn't work right. And she wound up in the middle of this battle. Um, so before they can get going again, she interferes and. Uh, and she manages to resolve this long-standing war, and uh, and they vow to get her home. And the rest of the book is the very beginning of a massive project to get her back to this place that is uh, thousands of miles and years away. Um, but and it involves uh, the uh, radical transformations that take place in Florence as a result of the end of the war and her introduction into the city. And uh, the cast is her and uh, one particular soldier who helped her out a lot at the beginning, and the king, and the high priest, 
and uh, several different uh, individuals who are trying to uh, seize the throne now that uh, now that the the war has ended and it's destabilized politics inside the city. And there's a uh, a metaphysically tall tower as well. Metaphysically right. tall tower. Yeah, there's is a, tower a tower that, that uh, no one can tell how tall it is. Is it taller on the yeah. inside than the outside, or is it just taller on the inside? Tall? Okay. It's taller on the inside, and whether or not it's infinite depends on the path that you take through it. <laughs> uh, so I uh, I really like the tower. Uh, the tower is a lot of fun. That reminds me of a, a sword in the first Dresden Files book. Someone draws a sword that's infinitely long, and oh, cool! I heard I heard infinitely long, like. They're mm-hmm. swinging it and it's infinite off into the sky. I may have misinterpreted it because it never came up again. And next time they talked about the sword, it wasn't infinitely long. But I swear there was an infinitely long sword in that book. But I, if it's I've not in there, to you search should use it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should. <laughs> it was one of those things that's just so preposterous that you don't really, I don't even know how that would work. So why uh-huh. not say it and let the reader figure it out? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me. Um, well, it's it's really interesting that you bring up all these time books, and then your book is a book that involves folding space and time, and not just yeah. You throw it out there so casually, like this is old hat for you. I have a metaphysical uh, bent, so um, to the extent that I'm going to write fantasy, it's going to have uh, it's going to involve like alteration in I guess the nature of reality, uh, and particularly time. Like I have like a lot of questions about about the nature of time, and so. Uh, it's it's fun to write characters who can exp- uh, interact with it experimentally, um, and it's it's not like standard time travel where you know you go back and you change something. Uh, there's a lot of stuff about the like fine grained structure of time and things that can be done once you like are interacting with time at a granular level, that kind of thing. It makes sense because when we read a book, we're having a conversation with someone from the past, mm-hmm. and vice yeah. versa as a writer. It's incredible that you can do that. I should wrap this up. We're uh, approaching the limit of our show, uh, at least in this timeline. So Daniel, thank you for coming on. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening. Daniel, will you tell us uh, your website? And I'd like to remind everyone that the links to Daniel's books and website and everything else, and possibly your art will be in the show notes below. Sure. Um, for finding author-related stuff, probably uh, uh, best is uh, Instagram, Daniel Maidman underscore author. Um, my website, which I have not yet updated to include my life as a fantasy writer, is danielmaidman.com. Anyway, thank you. It's been great, great chatting. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. All right. Uh, thanks for watching the show and keep your bookshelves dry. <laughs>